Good morning. Well, here we are in our last week together looking at the new and improved aspects that a beautiful life brings to us in our focus on Romans chapter 8. Now, we've seen in Romans chapter 8 that Christ wants us to live this free and fulfilling life. And we learned in the first week that we were together that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And we learned that the power of our sin has no control over us any longer. And last week, we learned that the suffering that we experience in this life is a pathway to glory. And that someday the glory that we are going to receive will far outweigh any suffering that we experience in this life. Good news. And now this week, Paul's going to raise the bar. Paul's going to take it a step further, and he's going to, if you will, he's going to bring us to the top of the mountain. And we're going to look at what may be five of the best verses in the whole Bible, five of the most exciting verses in all of God's word we are going to look at this morning. Paul is going to take us there. Now remember what we said. Romans 8 starts out with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And in the middle, there's no defeat. The first week we learned no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Last week we learned that there's no defeat even in our sufferings. And this week, we're going to learn that there's no separation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There is no separation from the love of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But I need to say that this message, this promise, is only for those who are in Christ. It's only for those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have placed their faith and their trust in him for their salvation and for their life. So this is not a message to the general world. This is not a message to everybody, and it's not even a message to everybody in this room. But if you're in this room, and you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please listen, because I think you will find this promise very, very attractive. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for each one of the people that you have brought to this place. And Lord, as we open your word, I pray that your presence would continue to fill this place. For if it's just me speaking, nothing will happen. But God, if you are here, if your presence is here through your Holy Spirit, much can happen. So we pray that you would speak to us, that we would hear, that you would convict us, and that you would change us. Lord, we love you, and we want to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, isn't it interesting that we come here week after week? We come to church week after week to worship. We come here week after week to meet God, and we come here and we sing songs, we sing praises, we open God's word, we study, we pray together. We do that here in church. We do it when we go home. We sing in the car to ourselves. We study God's word. We pray. And we're excited about the things God is doing in our lives. We're excited about the things God is doing here at Calvary Church. God is working. God is moving. 
And we're thankful, aren't we? We're thankful for his forgiveness in our lives. We're thankful for the salvation that he has provided to us. He is good. And we're thankful for his presence. But in all of us, there's that nagging fear, isn't there? There's that nagging fear that if something happens, if something happens to me, or if I do something wrong, there's that nagging fear that somehow I'm going to be separated from the love of God. That maybe there's something that'll happen to me or something that I will do that'll keep God from loving me. And all too many times we fall into this nagging fear that maybe, just maybe, God will stop loving me. And if we live like that, if we live in that fear, it keeps us. It keeps us from experiencing his assurance and his presence in, his, in our lives and the freedom that we have in Christ. So instead of feeling assurance, if we live in that fear, we are concerned and we're filled with anxiety and we're always worried that something that might happen to me or something I've done will keep me from the love of God. And there's reasons we feel this way, aren't there? There's reasons. Think of our relationship with others. Think about how others impact our life and our view of God. Think about an abused child or an abused spouse that at one point in time is told that they're valued and they're loved. And then the person exhibits rage and abuse. Or think of the spouse whose partner has been unfaithful or the faithful worker that's told by their employer that they're valued, that they're an important part of the organization, and then during some cost-cutting measure, they're let go. Or think about middle school or high school, or if you're in middle school or you're in high school, and one minute somebody's your friend, and the next minute it's as if you don't even exist. And sometimes that's not always in middle school or high school, is it? We've been burned by people. I've been burned by people. And we understand that our experience with people, with others, affects how we view our experience with God. Another reason, how about, how about the hidden sin in our lives? All of us here present ourselves more holy than we actually are, don't we? We all put on the smiling face and the good front, and man, I even wore a tie today. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We present ourselves more holy than we actually are, but we know down deep inside, we know our struggles. We know the, the, the hidden temptations and, and the sins that we wrestle with. We know that sometimes we twist the truth, that sometimes we don't do what God actually wants us to do, that sometimes we're even lazy. God wants us to do, but we're like, no, no, God, I don't have time for that. And this hidden sin that we know is inside of us, that is deep inside of us, and we, we look at that and we, we wonder, wow, I'm having trouble loving myself. Can God really love me? Or how about some of the experiences we face in life? Pain, difficulties, disease, hospitalization, you're in the hospital and you're all alone at night and it's, it's dark in the room and it's just you. And you wonder, has, has, has God left me? Does God love me? Or you've gone through that financial downturn and you've tried everything and you 
apparently, even to your own reckoning, you've done everything right. You've meant to give glory to God and everything, but does God still love me? Am I separated from God's love? Am I out here all alone? Well, the answer is no. You're not out there all alone. And so this morning, I want you to leave this place so, so encouraged because God recognizes our fears and our anxieties and our concerns. So he gives us Romans chapter eight, page 800 in the Bible that the church provides. Look at Romans chapter eight. We're gonna start in verse 35. And like I said, these five verses, these five verses are packed. They are full of truth and promise. Paul writes these verses understanding our fear of separation and our insecurities. He understands. God knows. Look what's written. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul asks an incredibly intimate question that emphasizes the personal and relational emphasis of the love of God that we have, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Look what he starts. He asks who at the beginning of this question. He's seeking to identify any conceivable opponent. Is there anybody out there, whether personal or is there anything, is there anything impersonal that can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul is searching for an answer. He wants somebody to throw something out there. And then he lists seven adversities and adversaries that might be thought of as coming between us and Jesus. He begins with trouble, hardship, and persecution. These seem to go together to denote the pressures and the distresses caused by this ungodly and hostile world that we live in. Then he turns to famine and nakedness. This is the idea of the lack of adequate food or adequate clothing. Paul concludes with danger and sword, meaning the risk of physical pain and death on the one hand, and on the other hand, the experience of death. Paul identifies seven afflictions. There are others too, aren't there? This list could be longer, considerably longer, but these are real sufferings that he identifies, real pain. Painful, demeaning, unpleasant, hard to bear, challenging to our faith. And Paul knew what he was talking about. Each of these things that he identifies, each of the afflictions that Paul identifies, he has experienced in his life. He knows what it is to experience hardship and trouble, famine and nakedness. The only thing he doesn't understand at this point is the sword. And that is coming for Paul. He knows what he's talking about. And what does he ask? He says, can difficulty, pain, misery, or loss separate us from the love of Christ? No, nothing 
can separate us from the love of Christ. Absolutely not. See, the Christian life is not easy, but we must never mistakenly assume that these difficulties that we experience in this life mean that God has turned his back on us. That is not the case. Now, to further grasp this, to further understand what Paul's talking about here, we have to think about the definition of love. What does it actually mean? What does this idea of the love of God actually mean? Now, love's a funny word, isn't it? Love's kind of a funny word. I love my wife, and I love Kentucky Fried Chicken. But there is a tangible aspect to what Paul is talking about here. This is not some mushy kind of love. This is not love of Kentucky Fried Chicken. This is a definable, demonstrable love. It's tangible. Look at the way that Paul identifies this love of God, this self-giving love of God. Look at these verses. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Paul also speaks of the son of God. He speaks of Jesus who loved me, and gave himself for me. See, this love of God is a love that gives and gives and gives. It's first and foremost demonstrated in the gift of his son. God loved us so much that he gave us his son. This love is demonstrable by the fact that God continues to give. He's a giving, giving God. It's the very definition of love here, of God eternally giving himself for our good and for our benefit. This is an attribute of God's character. This love is what he is about. It defines him eternally. The fact that he gives and gives and gives of himself for our blessing. That's the love of God. And it's demonstrated tangibly through the gift of his son, Jesus. And not only did he give through his son, Jesus, his love is also demonstrated through the gift of his power, of his peace, of the joy he gives us, the direction or guidance he gives us in our lives, the wisdom he gives us in our lives. He is continually giving to us because He loves us, the love of God. So what does Paul declare? He says there's no sufferings, affliction, pain, or misery that can separate us from the love of Christ. And more than that, far far from alienating us from God, look at what verse 37 says. In all these things, Even while we are enduring these afflictions in pain, in all these things, Paul declares that we are more than conquerors. The phrase more than conquerors here really isn't strong enough. We're not only bearing these things. The text is saying we're triumphing over these things. We are overwhelmingly conquering these things that we are experiencing. How? 
through him who loved us. See, this second reference to Christ's love is important. It again alludes to the cross, the demonstration of God's love. You see, since Christ proved his love for us by and through his sufferings, our sufferings cannot possibly separate us from his love. Remember last week we talked about sharing in Christ's sufferings so we can be made more like him? This week we see our sufferings as evidence of our union with Christ, not a reason to doubt his love. It's a paradox, isn't it? But it's true. It's the consistent way that God works. We save our lives by giving them up. We lead by serving others. We conquer by being conquered. It's the, it's the paradox. Jesus goes to the cross in what the world would say would be apparent defeat, but through God's wisdom, he uses Jesus' death on the cross to bring the death of sin, Satan, and hell. It's a paradox. It's how God's work works. Jesus demonstrates his love to us by giving himself for us. And in that suffering, our suffering, we identify with him. So is there anything? And can any of these afflictions separate us from the love of Christ? No. None of these things that Paul has listed can separate you from the love of Christ. But Paul goes on. It's as if it's not enough. Paul goes on and he comes to the end of the chapter, the last two verses, and, and now he's going to lay it all on the line. He's going to provide a, a personal testimony. Look at the first four words of verse 38. For I am convinced. Paul knows exactly what he knows. Paul's saying here, I am persuaded. I am sure. I am certain that these things are true. Now, if you look at verses 38 and 30, 39, at first they may seem complicated. But Paul is just trying to say one thing. There is one thing that he is trying to say here. He's trying to say that I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Everything else is additional amplification. Everything else simply builds on that one truth. It's as if at this point, Paul's concerned that we might not be buying what he is selling. That we might not believe that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. So he's going to drive home his point. He's going to give personal testimony. He is going to make strong argument that there is nothing in this world that can separate us. He identifies 10 possible things in the last two verses that potentially could separate us from the love of God. There are four pairs, which make eight, and then there are two things identified individually. And Paul says there is nothing in the, all of the universe that can separate us from the love of God. These 10 things encompass everything there is to be listed. He includes every imaginable realm of creation. Look at what he begins with. The first pairing is neither death nor life. Paul begins with death. It makes sense that death is the first, isn't it? Death is the greatest separator. If you think about it, death separates us from family, from friends, from anybody around us, from anything we do. Death separates. And it's so final. And not only is that separation final, but that separation is scary. Death is one of the greatest fears in life. What happens when we die? Where do we go? And when we die, do we even exist? Or do we just cease to exist? 
Death has this finality, this fear, this scariness that's associated with it. Have you ever been to the hospital with somebody who's dying? Have you ever been to a funeral and looked at the faces of the people that are there or talked with the people there? Death is scary. It's final. It's, it's the great separator. And think about how great the fear has to be, how even unbearable if you do it without Jesus. And even for us that know Jesus, death is scary. But we need to remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. You see, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, when you die, there's no question where you are going. Immediately at your death, you will be with Jesus. So death cannot separate you from the love of God. Paul says the greatest of all separators means nothing. It will not separate you from the love of God. But what about life? This is a little strange. But think about it. Many things in life also separate us. War, poverty, sickness, old age, geography. They're things that separate. Early in life, we have a certain group of friends because we live in a certain neighborhood or we go to a certain church. Later in life, we change neighborhoods or we change churches and we say, yeah, we're gonna keep in touch. I'll follow up with you. But often we don't. Life has many aspects of separation. Relationships can be forgotten. So experiences in life can pull us apart as well. And Paul says here, death can't separate you from the love of God. But the trials, the difficult life, life can't separate you from the love of God either. Then Paul turns to the next pairing. Now to angels and to demons, neither angels nor demons. Now this is interesting. Angels refers to good angels who worship God day and night and do his will. The demons are the evil spirits who follow Lucifer when he fell from heaven. And immediately you ask, well, good angels... Why would good angels want to separate us from the love of God? They wouldn't. But what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to reach to the most incredible extreme, the, the most powerful being there is. And even though angels would not want to separate you from the love of God, what he's saying is that even if they did, even the angels couldn't separate you from the love of God. And then he turns to demons. Now, the demons' purpose is to harass and create havoc for the Christian. Their goal is separation. The very word devil in Greek means separator. And they separate because evil divides. They prey on our weakness. They tempt us to sin. Their entire purpose is evil and destruction. And let's be clear. Demons do exist, and they are powerful. They fight against the people of God. They discourage us, they divide us, they attack us, they provoke us. In every way, they seek to oppress us. Demons are very real. But Paul says, can demons separate us from the love of God? No, absolutely not. 
They can mess with us. They can make us feel as if God doesn't love us. They can confuse us. They can tempt us. But they cannot separate us from the love of God. Now look at what Paul does. He says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. And then he says, neither present nor future. Paul moves into the realm of time. Is there anything within the realm of time, any recorded event, any present occurrence, any future possibility that could separate you from the love of God? Absolutely not. Time is powerless against believers. Time is powerless against those of us who are in Jesus Christ. It cannot separate us from the love of God. It's interesting here that the past is not included. It says present and future. You know why the past is not included? Because when Jesus went to the cross and died and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your past was forgotten. All of your sins were covered so none of the past can rise up against you and accuse you. And not only is your past taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ, but Paul says here, your present and your future. Nothing can happen that will separate you from God's love. There's nothing you're going through right now. There's nothing you will experience out beyond the horizon, some terrible event, some awful thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Next, Paul says, nor any powers. This seems to be a a catch-all for the forces of nature. The word here is a form of the Greek word dunamis, and, and what it means is it usually refers to various spiritual powers, and it likely refers to things like black magic, voodoo, wizardry, astrology, things like that, forces of the universe, if you will, and Paul says none of these forces of the universe can separate you from the love of God. Here's the point. Whatever forces might be out there and against us, they have no power to separate us from God's love. No one can cast a spell and take away your salvation. No one can chant or hum or read cards to destroy your relationship with Jesus. No one can call on the spirits of dead people to somehow sabotage your Christian faith. It can't happen. Jesus is greater than all of the spiritual powers and nothing, no spiritual power can separate you from the love of God. And look at this final matched pair. Paul says neither height nor depth. Paul turns to the realm of space. He earlier talked about time. Now he talks about space. Neither height nor depth. As high as you can go, is there anything there? Is there any distance that can keep you from God. No. As low as you can go. Is there any depth that you can go to that can keep you from God? No. From his love? No. Look at these verses from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Can you go to the height of heights and be separated from God's love? No. Can you go to the depths of depths and be separated from God's love? Absolutely not. Look at his final category. 
at the end of verse 39, Paul adds one all-inclusive encouragement. He wants to make sure that he hasn't missed anything. And this is the biggest encouragement to me personally. Look what he says. Nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That covers everything. Everything in all of creation, everything that is not God, no thing, no person can separate you from the love of God. And you know who that includes? It includes ourselves. There's nothing that you can do and there's nothing that I can do that can separate me from the love of God. There's no sin that I can commit that can separate me from the love of God. Once you are in Christ Jesus, once you are his child, once you have claimed him as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can do. There is no sin that will separate you from his love. His love for you is eternal, and his love for you is secure. This past week, it's interesting because when I preach, stuff happens. I don't mean here, I mean the week before I preach, stuff happens. And this past week, two people in two separate cases um, have come up. The first one dealt with an individual who has been been in the hospital and, and for a number of years has been experiencing pain and disease, sickness, difficulty, even facing death. And the person has felt all alone. The first person has really felt separated from God. The other person is a person who for a number of years has been experiencing incredible difficulties in their marriage relationship and has truly been seeking God's guidance for years in this situation and oftentimes has felt distant, separated from God, wondering, is God really there? Does God really love me and care for me? This week, for both of those people, God spoke directly to them through answered prayer. It was amazing. In both of their cases, they went through a period of time where they had no answers, where they legitimately suffered. And then this week, God shows up and says, I'm there for you. And without a doubt, both of these people know that all they've gone through In the past few years, God has been there all the time. Why? Because he loves them. And there is nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God when you are in Christ Jesus. I'd like to ask a question. Can you 
honestly claim this promise in your life? I'd like you to think about the words of the song that Nick sang earlier. The lyrics to the first verse in the chorus are, there's a businessman, there's a widowed wife. There's a smiling face with a shattered life. There's a teenager, teenage girl with a choice to make. It's crowded here in church today. And the preacher says as the sermon ends, please close your eyes and bow your heads. Is there anyone in need of prayer? Jesus wants to meet you here. Because we all fall short. We all have sinned. But when you let God's grace break in, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Come as you are. Surrender your heart. Broken and beautiful. Is this you this morning? Have you not yet met Jesus? And he has you here this morning. You see, there's nothing more that I would wish for this morning than that you could experience the promise that there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Now, I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you if you feel good with God or if you're doing the right things. What I'm asking you is, have you met him? Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, today is the day. The second verse of the song speaks of a man whose world is crashing in. And he comes to church to worship, to worship the God who can bring him back to life again. There's something in his life that's made him feel dead. There's something in his life that has separated him from God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in Christ. You know Jesus, but there's some experience that you're going through. There's something that's been done to you there may be something that you've done that makes you feel far from the love of God. I want you to know this morning that God's right here. And he loves you. He loves you with an eternal love that you can never, ever be separated from.